here to sugarcoat I'm sorry about you Too much shelter causes pain Let's just be real honest Things are gonna knock you down Avoidance will not help you out Let's talk it through you, me and you Let's keep it real honest Hi Barbie! Sorry, I had to. I'm obsessed. Um, okay, so this week we are talking about therapy, my favorite thing, my favorite and least favorite time of every other week. Basically, I think that every human on this earth should be in therapy. I really wish that my parents would go to therapy, like not together, like both individually. I think every human on this earth needs to be seeing a therapist at some frequency to be learning more about themselves and how to interact with other people so that we can all have stronger relationships. One of the things that is like so stressful about having been going to therapy for so long, because I think I've been going for like seven years now, I don't even remember, but I have a really hard time talking to people that don't go to therapy. But Like my sisters have recently started going to therapy and it's great. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, I've been going for seven years and they've been going for like one or two. And so I like almost want to pause until we've all been doing the work for the same amount of time. Cause it's just like there, there are things that you learn in therapy where like, you'll be talking to somebody and they'll say something and you'll be like, oh, you go to therapy. And it's just so refreshing. I got this idea actually because I was hanging out with that man that I love and <laughs> just sorry, it's really not that funny. It's everything everything about this relationship is funny to me. I don't even remember what I was saying. Clearly it wasn't important <laughs> cuz I don't remember it. But I was telling him something <laughs> and the poor guy just like looks over at me and he very like kindly and as gently as possible just like put his hand on my arm and he was like sweetheart I don't care (laughs) and I know so many of you are like oh my gosh he's so mean stop talking to him like how rude but the thing is like there is a different like so many people are not honest because they are afraid of being mean which is just unfortunate for you if you're that person because there is a difference between being honest and being mean. You don't have to be mean to be honest. So, you know, he could have said it rudely. He said it very sweetly. <laughs> like he was really he was really nice about it. Like really really nice. Like was not trying to hurt my feelings, but he just did not give a shit about whatever I was talking about. And it honestly was so refreshing for me, but I'm so jealous of him to be like, (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you guys. It makes me angry how honest he is because he's like the only person that I know that's more honest than me. And it upsets me (laughs) because I'm like, this is my superpower. Like, I don't want you to be better at this than me. And it like, it makes me so upset. And I'm so jealous because I wish that I could do that. Like, I am in conversations with people so often where I'm just sitting there like waiting for them to stop talking and trying so hard to like keep an interested gaze. And in my mind, I'm sitting there like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And I just want you to stop speaking because I don't care. 
and you're not interesting and you don't know how to tell a story and I want you to shut up. But nobody ever says that because it's rude. (laughs) And you don't want to be rude. So you just sit there and let the person drone on and on about whatever the hell they want to say. So it was very refreshing for me, for him to tell me that he didn't care about what I was talking about. Because first of all, it helps me like sit and reflect of like, why am I telling him this story? Like, why even am I sharing this with him? Is it because I want his opinion on something? Do I want advice from him? Do I care that he cares at all? Or am I just talking to hear myself talk? Like, am I kind of just filling space right now? Or am I processing something like on my own? Like I kind of just want to talk through my thoughts about this and I really don't care if he listens or not, or if I have an audience and it just so happens that this is the moment in which I want to process it. And he just happens to be sitting next to me. So I'm doing it out loud and he's going to hear it. Um, you know, I got to work through all of that and then decide like if I am, if I need his opinion or I want him to be engaged, like if I need him to care for me to keep talking, then I'm going to stop talking. If I don't need him to care, <laughs> then I'm going to keep talking. And I think, oh, I wish I could remember what I was talking about because clearly it was not important at all. Um, but I think what I told, I think I was like, I don't care that you don't care. I'm going to tell you and you're going to listen. <laughs> and he was like, okay, fair, proceed. I'm just letting you know, like you can keep talking. Like, I'll sit here and half listen, but I'm just like not interested. <laughs> I just would, like want you to know. And I'm like, thanks. Appreciate it. Like move on. I'm so entertained by us. <laughs> like I can't, I can't even handle it ever. Like the whole, everything about it entertains me. But that's like a classic example of like, he's been to therapy. I go to therapy and we just are able to have this like openness with each other that just feels really nice. Whereas with like my family members, there's just a constant like discomfort and fear. And I don't really know where that comes from. But the other thing that I love about therapy is it teaches you things about yourself and about other people and like gives you a new perspective. So like one of the things that I have to work on in therapy a lot is like my therapist is constantly reminding me, she's like, everybody is not having your experience. So you're looking at stuff from a certain lens, but you need to look at it from a different lens. If y'all remember back when I uninvited my sister from the Eras tour, months after I told her she wasn't going. She like reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm not trying to change the plan. I understand the decision has already been made, but I do want to tell you how I felt about the whole thing because we really haven't talked about it. And that's important to me to like, not keep letting people walk all over me and to like voice my opinions, which I'm sure that she worked on that in therapy because that's a thing that she needs to work on. And I think that's great. So I was like, great, tell me how you feel. And like, whatever. And so we were talking about it. And while she was giving me her thoughts and her feelings and her reasoning, she said, like, you and I have been to a Taylor Swift concert before and we had fun. So I don't know why you wouldn't think that we would have fun again. And throughout the whole conversation, I never heard her say, I love you. And I know this is going to be the best night of your life. And I want to share that experience with you. Or... I love Taylor Swift and I have to be there. (laughs) And like, those were the two things that I needed her to say 
for me to go back to my friend that I brought and be like, hey, like, just so sorry, but I'm actually going to take my sister. Hate to like go back on this again, but either to do that or just to feel bad about it. But then I was, you know, I was talking to my therapist about this and my therapist was like, you need to take a step back because those are the two reasons that are acceptable to you for her to be upset about not going. Like in your opinion, the only people that deserve to go to the heiress tour is Swifties and or friends and family of Swifties who love their Swifties so much that they are going to spend hours upon hours watching TikTok and memorizing choreography and memorizing every lyric so that they can be on the level of their Swifty loved one. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And my therapist was like, okay, not everyone sees it that way. You know, to some people, the Eras Tour is just another concert that anyone can go to and they don't have to be a huge fan to go. Like I recently went to Nashville with a friend of mine and in five days we went to four concerts. Like I saw Elevation Worship, Ed Sheeran, Big Time Rush, and Maggie Rogers. Now I'm obsessed with Elevation Worship. I love them. I love Ed Sheeran, but I wouldn't say I'm obsessed with him. I think he's very talented, but I don't know all of the lyrics to more than like five of his songs. I know maybe most of the choruses. I'm obsessed with Big Time Rush. (laughs) And I know every word of every song, but Maggie Rogers, I had never heard of. Don't even know who she is. My friend is a fan of hers. And I was just like, you know, cool, whatever. I'll go to this concert with you. And it was fine. I did not have the best time because I ended up not really liking the music, hated the opener. But it was one of those things where like, it was at an amphitheater. We were sitting on the lawn. We didn't pay a lot of money. Whereas like Taylor Swift, I paid a lot of money. And it was just, it was, you know, I was like, if you're not a fan, why are you going to pay that much to go? But again, this is how I feel about it, which is what my therapist is like always, always, always reminding me. She's like, so just because you think that there's only these two camps of people that deserve to go to the Eras tour... Other people do not see it that way. Your sister does not see it that way. So while she was trying to explain to you how she felt about you uninviting her to the concert, you were looking for how you would explain it if you had been uninvited and you were upset and how you would convince the person to feel the way that you do about it when what you need to do is look at this from her lens and just take what she is saying and what she is feeling and listen to that, which is a very hard thing for me to do, which is why I'm still in therapy and I probably will be forever. Um, cause it's just one of those things where it's so you like, we all are who we are and it's so hard to look at the world from somebody else's perspective because your brain works differently than theirs does. Take my dad, for example, I find my father to be a very strange communicator. And I just feel like he says things and he does things that are very strange and don't make any sense to me. Like, for example, a few weeks ago, he texted me 
And he said something to the effect of, he mentioned some Bible character. I think it was Jeremiah, but honestly, I don't know because I don't know a whole lot about most Bible characters. But he said like some Bible character was single and God called him to be single because he had a calling into ministry and God didn't want him to be distracted by anything. So he never got married and never had children and he still lived a fulfilling life. And then he was like, not saying that I feel like that's your calling or what God is telling you to do, but either way, you seem really on fire for Jesus and like, that's great. (laughs) And I'm just like sitting here, like, why did he send me this text message? Like what on earth? (laughs) And it honestly really annoyed me. And then I was like, okay, I did tell my parents about the podcast. So I'm thinking, okay, he probably listened to the first episode of the podcast where I talk about how the church needs to change how it views single people. So I feel like he crafted this message to tell me that he listened to the first episode of my podcast and he liked it. And then I went to therapy and my therapist was like, yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate about what he was trying to do. And I was like, why can't he just say that? Like, why can't he just text me and say, I listened to your podcast and I like it? Because my thing is like comparing me to a Bible kid, like I don't read the Bible like that. I don't know the Bible like that. And I don't want to be compared to a Bible character. And also, if you listen to the first episode of my podcast, you listen to me spend like an hour talking about how, while I think being single is okay, it's not something that I want people to feel the need to make okay. Like I want it to just be okay. Like whether or not I am single or married, either way, like whether it's by choice or if it's not by choice, I don't want people to look at me and be like, oh, it's okay that you're not married. Like you don't have to get married. Like shut up. Like I want people to just say nothing about it in either direction. I want it to be so normal to be single and so normal to be married that either way, people are not telling you that it's okay that you did it or didn't do it. And I am just like, that's what the whole episode was about. So for him to text me and essentially say, it's okay that you're single because this guy in the Bible was also single. Like, it's it's like you missed the entire point of what I was saying in the podcast because you're sitting here telling me it's okay that I'm single. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's so frustrating, but I feel like before I went to therapy, I would have just gotten mad at him for texting me that. And now that I've done so much work with my therapist on trying to understand who my dad is and how he operates and how he communicates, it's been a lot easier for me to say like, okay, here's what he was trying to say. Let me like translate this into my own language if I were to say it and then it can make sense to me. The other thing he does that I think is really strange is like once or twice a year, my dad will text me and my sisters all in a group chat and he'll say something to the effect of you four are my greatest blessings in life. I'm so proud to be your dad. I love you all so much. And it's like... He does it so rarely that I always think he's dying. (laughs) And every time we get this text, I always think that he is either on a business trip and he was on an airplane and there was so much turbulence that he thought the plane was going to fall out of the sky and crash or that he just got back from the doctor and got like a negative diagnosis 
for something because I'm like, this man is dying because if he's not on his deathbed, why is he sending this really weird sentimental message to all of us in a group text? And my therapist is always like, what if he's just saying that he loves you and that's how he does it? And it's rare because he doesn't express himself every day, all the time, like you do. And he needs the six months to work up to being able to say that to you guys. And that's something that I need to hear someone say, because I'm sitting over here. Like if you love me, the way to tell me that you love me is to spend time with me, spend intentional time with me, getting to know me as a person, learning what I like and what I don't like and what I fear and what drives me, not sending me a text message once every six months with all my other sisters in it saying that you love me. Like we also have this family Zoom that he started during COVID and then it made sense where it was like no one could travel. So we all got on Zoom every Sunday to I don't know, just give updates and make sure everybody was still alive. And like, here's what I did this week. Here's what I did this week. But, you know, 2020 is <laughs> quite rapidly getting behind us and we still have this weekly Zoom. And it it literally is like we go around the Zoom and each of my sisters just says like, it's like a basic rundown small talk of what's going on in everyone's life. Like, here's something I fixed in my house this week. Here's what the kids did this week. Here's what happened at work this week. And it's just like, we're not learning anything about each other. Like I know where each of my sisters works. I know vaguely what each of their jobs are. And other than that, it's like, that's all that we're talking about on this Zoom. Like we're not, there's no like, there's no bonds being formed. There's no like fun and laughter. There's no deep emotional bonding there. It's just not. And I'm constantly like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? This is a waste of my time. And it's just one of those things or it's just like, this is what my dad wants to do. So we're all just like doing it, but it's, I still just need it to be better explained to me. So it is helpful. I mean, I don't, I don't go most weeks cause it irritates me so much, but I do, when I do go, I do talk to my therapist about it and she's pretty good at like translating stuff into like a new language to me. So one of the, like the greatest things that I have learned about my dad and therapy is that like his fear manifests as anger. So like one of the things that always bothered me growing up was he seemed to just get mad at the most irrational times. Like I will never forget my mom went to visit her brother who was staying at the crack house at the time. So, and my sisters and I are all like little, like, I don't know how little. Um, and so we like, drive, we all go to the crack house and there's this whole situation of how she gets him to come out of the house of like, you got to honk the horn, flash the lights, wave out the window. So he like knows that it's her. And then he comes out the front door and my mom, we're like parked across the street and my mom like gets out and goes in to meet him. And I don't remember even what my sisters or I said or did, but my dad just starts yelling and he's just angry and he's mad at it. And this would happen like 
all the time. It's like the smallest thing. And he would just be yelling. Especially when I got really depressed, like when I was 13 and I started to get really sad. Anytime that I would say I wanted to die or I didn't want to be alive or the world was terrible, he would get really mad at me. And he was like, don't say that. Stop saying that. And I was just like, excuse me? What? And I'm like, what is wrong with him? Like, I'm so confused. And now like looking back, my therapist has explained to me, she's like, in that moment, He was scared to death that his wife was never going to walk out of that crack house. And he's thinking through, if she dies, I now have to raise these three children by myself. How the hell am I going to do that? Because my wife's a stay-at-home mom. I should go in and get her, but I can't go in and get her because I can't leave my three children unattended in this car and I certainly can't take my three children into the crack house to retrieve her so I can't do anything like all I can do is sit here and wait for my wife to come back and I don't know how long she was in there like maybe it was maybe 20 minutes it couldn't have been long um but that like just my therapist saying that like opened up a whole like I view my entire childhood differently Everything in my dad's mind like reflects back on him. So like it always bothered me where like if I would get a spanking on a Sunday morning, like he would always grab my arm and be like, a, like nobody at church better ask me what's wrong with you today. Like you better not be crying at church. And it was very like the message I received was it's not okay to show emotion. If you are in public, happy is the only allowable emotion. You cannot be sad. You cannot be angry. You can't be too excited. All you can do is be happy. And that never made sense to me because I was like, why is sadness bad? Why is anger bad? But it wasn't about that. It was about how he felt as a parent. If I cried in Sunday school because I was still in pain from him spanking me that morning for spilling Cheerios on the floor and my Sunday school teacher said, hey, Samantha was crying this morning. Is everything okay? Then that sends the message to him that my Sunday school teacher thinks he is a bad father. If I'm upset to the point where somebody questions him, then that means that he did something wrong and he is a bad father and that is not acceptable and that cannot happen. So he has to make sure that that doesn't happen. And the only way he knows to do that is to tell me that I can't cry (laughs) and to, to threaten if somebody asks him if something's wrong with me, which I don't think is okay. This is part of why I would love for him to go to therapy, (laughs) but you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, I feel like most of us millennials are in therapy because of our parents, which is why I'm spending so much time on my parents. But if your parents refuse to go to therapy and you're having a really hard time, like having relationships with them at the very least, if they don't go and get the tools for themselves, you can go and get the tools to understand them better. That does not make their terrible behavior. Okay. Or acceptable. So if they're harming you and they refuse to acknowledge it or learn from it, like you got to walk away. If you have to walk away, you have to walk away. So I feel like with my mom, things have been very interesting because she is a person that really wants what she wants and doesn't really care about what anyone else wants because what she wants is what's going to happen. And I find this interesting because I think 
that my mom is often very selfish. And my sisters think that my mom is the most selfless person on the planet. So part of this has to do with like the birth order. And just even though we were all raised in the same household, we all walked away having very different experiences. But just for example, like my mom is definitely like she loves me and will do anything for me. But the things that she will do for me are usually not things that I ask for. They're things that she wants. So it's kind of like I didn't really care to buy a house. She wanted me to buy a house. So she talked me into buying a house and then helped me with like some stuff around the house. But it was like it wasn't me saying like I need this thing in my house. It was like her saying you need this thing in your house. So like I'm going to help you get it or do it or whatever the thing is. So she walks away from whatever the thing is being like, I'm a great mom. I just helped her with this thing. And I walk away from the experience being like, she's so overbearing. Like she just came and like did this thing that I didn't even want or ask for. And now she wants me to thank her for it when like I would rather her do something else. So I find it interesting because when my mom gets upset with me, like, She will always say, like, I'll do anything for you. Like, nobody loves you more than me. Like, I'll do anything for you. Like, the two instances that I can think of where, like, I've really, like, needed her was my freshman year of college when I was in Nashville. And then right after I graduated college when I was in Anaheim at the Disney program. Like, those were two very low points in my life when I called her and was like, I need you to come here. Like, I need you to come and be with me or I need you to come and get me and take me away, but I have to get out of this situation. And both times she was like, why? That doesn't make sense. I can't afford that. I can't fly to you. That's, that doesn't make sense. I can't go to the Cal- California right now. I have to work like blah, blah, blah. Like, I had all these excuses of why she couldn't or wouldn't come to me. And she's like, do you need money? I'll send you money. I'll sit and talk to you on the phone forever. But, you know, and I was like, I was like, but I I need you to be here. I need you to come to me. And she couldn't do that. And she wouldn't do that. And so it always really frustrates me anytime that she's like, I'll do anything for you. I'm like, no, you won't. Because the two times in my life that I have really needed you and deliberately asked for something, you said no. And like, I just... (laughs) I know that my parents have money. I do not believe you when you tell me that you could not get on a plane and come hold me for a few days. It's just that to you, that wasn't a logical solution. Like that's not how you wanted to solve the problem. You wanted to solve the problem by sending me money or by sitting on the phone, but that's not what I needed. I needed you to literally fly to me and hold me. Like that's what I asked for. But that's one of those things that like I I can't explain to her. So this is where it gets difficult, where I almost don't advocate for therapy in the sense that like I go to therapy and I learn these things about how my parents see the world and like how and why they do things. But if I'm not able to explain it to them, then it really feels like what's the point? Like how does it even help me to understand it if I can't explain it to them? Like my mom and I have had a lot of issues surrounding my weight. I was damn near anorexic 
all of high school and most of college. And she never said a word. I think there were a couple times that she said like, Oh, are you on an all salad diet this week? Like if I wasn't eating dinner and I I would only have the salad and then go to bed. Um, and I would just kind of shrug and like not really give her an answer. And she'd be like, well, skipping a few meals, never hurt anybody. I was always praised for being skinny. Like being skinny was always a really big deal. When I started high school, like random strangers would stop me in the hallway and they'd say like, are you them anorexic twins, little sister? And you know, and it's just like, I was never insulted by people thinking that my sisters were anorexic. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone thinks we're so skinny. Like wild. And I remember like the first guy that I dated in high school, he would always like ask me to eat burgers. He's like, if you would just put on like 30 pounds, you'd look amazing. And I was never insulted by it. Like he was literally telling me that I didn't look amazing and that I could look better. And what I heard was you were, you are so skinny. So keep doing what you're doing. And what I was doing was skipping breakfast every day. My mom would make me lunch. I would take it to school and throw it away. I never ate lunch. And then I would eat dinner. So like for most of high school, I ate one meal a day, if that, like I lived off of just like pop tarts and energy drinks. It's like, it's, it's amazing that like I wasn't sick. And what's hilarious is that same guy, like he took me on a date after college. We like, were both back in town and we reconnected and he like reached out and asked if he could take me on like a real date. Cause he never did in high school. And it was one of the best dates of my life. Like that's a story for a different time, but it was very fun. And he said like, I see you gained the 30 pounds. You look amazing. And I was so insulted by him saying that. I was like, I can't believe you just told me I'm fat. And he was like, what? I didn't tell you you're fat. I said, you look amazing. Right. But to me, like if I gained enough weight for you to notice, then that means that you think that I'm fat. And it was always like a big thing in my family, like pointing out large people on TV and pointing out super skinny people on TV and how great they looked. So like, I remember being in gym class in middle school and they would like weigh us in gym class. And the gym teacher one day was like pushing the little thingy on the scale back and forth and like could not figure it out. And she was looking at me and looking back at the scale and pushing the thing back and forth. She was like, why is this not working? And then it finally dawned on her and she was like, oh my God, are you under a hundred pounds? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh. And so she had to move like the, you know, the bottom piece um, just for me because everybody else in my class was over a hundred pounds. And it was just like, she was very alarmed by this. And my mom was, was not, she's like, so you're small. You like, you know, it's like, all my kids are so skinny. Like life's great. Um, but so anyways, I was maybe, I was maybe 110, 115 pounds when I graduated college. And I like started to get mentally okay and actually started eating like regular meals, like my junior year of college. So I graduate college, I move to Anaheim, I'm doing the Disney program, I'm severely depressed and I'm getting 30,000 steps a day because I work at Disneyland, okay? And then the Disney program ends and I had a job offer at Panera Corporate back in St. Louis. So I moved back to St. Louis, I'm working at Panera Corporate. This is the first desk job that I've ever had in my life. 
and there's free breakfast every day. So there's like always bagels and I'm now sitting for eight hours a day, which I've never done before in my life. So naturally I gain some weight and my mom freaks out and is like, oh my gosh, you're getting huge, blah, blah, blah. It turns into a whole thing. We have a whole fight about it. And she goes down into the basement because I had moved back in with my parents at this point. She goes down into the basement and she picks up the scale from the fitness room and she brings it into the kitchen and she throws it on the floor and is like, get on the scale. And I was like, excuse me? And she's like, you just said you don't know how much you weigh and you need to know how much you weigh because you're gaining weight and you're gaining a lot of it and you're gaining it fast and get on the scale right now. And I am just like completely blindsided. And what's wild to me is that anytime that I tell this story to somebody that's my mom's age, they're like, well, she meant well. And when I tell this story to people that are my age that go to therapy, they say, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to you. I told this story to a near stranger a few weeks ago. This girl that I barely know asked me to go on a walk and we went on a walk. And for some reason this came up And she was like, oh my God, that's traumatic. Are you okay? Like, how do you still speak to your mom? And I was like, honestly, it's hard. It is hard. Because that was only the first incident. And there was a time after I moved out that like I got sick and she made me soup and she made me this cute little care package for being sick that she included a South Beach diet book in. And at the time when the first thing happened, like I did go to not my primary care doctor, but I talked to my OB because I was freaking out. I actually thought I was pregnant at the time too. That's a whole different story for another time. Um, But it was a whole thing where she was like, Samantha, you have gained 10 pounds. (laughs) Like that is nothing. You're fine. This is normal. She's like, most people gain this weight in high school. This is honestly just like a regular growth spurt that you're having super late because you haven't been eating for years and years and years. And now that you're actually giving your body the nutrition it deserves, it's able to grow the way that it should have when you were a teenager. And then I was talking to my best friend at the time who was also in medical school about it. She was like, yeah, the way that you cry when you're shopping with your sisters because they get the extra smalls off the very front and you have to search a little bit to find your size. That's how all the rest of us felt shopping with you in high school. It was a miserable experience. And like that just made me so sad because I didn't even know. And it's just like, I have never been overweight. I am still not overweight. I am still smaller than the average woman in America, but it is too big to my mother. And like in the past couple years, like a couple strangers have asked me if I'm pregnant, like in public. And these were, of course, traumatic experiences because one of them was at Disneyland on my birthday. And I was like, great, this woman just ruined the happiest place on earth on the best day of my life. But also... I've never been pregnant, so I'm like, I shouldn't ever look pregnant because I've not ever been pregnant, not planning to ever be pregnant. And it's just one of those things that I've talked to a friend about it who this has happened to repeatedly throughout her life. She's like, you know what? I have a belly. I'm a woman. I have a uterus. Women have bellies. She's also never been pregnant. She's been asked countless times in public if she's been pregnant, and she just makes it into a joke. She told me whenever people ask her now, she just says like, yeah, I am pregnant. It's with a food baby. Can't wait till it comes out. I hope it's a pizza. You know, and I love like her spirit, but I hate that it's happened to her enough that she's had to come up with jokes to cope with it because the twice was enough for me. And like literally if it happens a third time, I'm probably going to punch the person in the face. 
And when I told my mom about it, she's like, well, you can't get mad at people for telling the truth. And like, you have gained a lot of weight and it's all in your stomach and you do look a little pregnant. And it's just like, anytime that I've tried to talk to her about it, it's always, I'm your mother and I'm worried and I don't know how to talk to you about this stuff and I'm trying to help you. And you know what? I don't need help. I needed help when I was a depressed high schooler and college student that wasn't eating. I don't need help now. I'm doing great. Don't make comments on women's bodies ever for any reason at all. Just don't do it. And being my mother does not entitle you to talk to me about my body. And I've told her this repeatedly. I'm like, if I ever get to a point where you see me and you know that I never exercise and every single time you see me, I have a donut in my hand And I have a sedentary lifestyle and all I do is lay on the couch and I'm very unhealthy, then fine, say something to me. But that's never been my life. I even like when I was ridiculously unhealthy in high school, like I was unhealthy in the other direction. Like I was never I didn't start working out until long after college. So like as a like a high schooler and a college student, I didn't exercise. I did not eat healthy. I didn't eat the majority of the time, but that was good to my mom because I was skinny. And, you know, that kind of stuff just like drives me insane and messes with my head. Earlier this year, the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once was re-released in theaters because it won so many awards and stuff. And I really wanted to see it because I missed it when it was in theaters the first time. And one of my sisters was in town and I'd asked her to go see this movie with me. And like, we were going to go to the theater. And my mom was like, oh, I really want to see that movie. Like I've tried to watch it a few times and I don't really understand it. So I really wanted to watch it with you so you could explain it to me. And, you know, why don't we just watch it in the home theater here in the basement? And I run through all of the reasons of why I don't want to do that, which there are many, but it's like my parents have a dog that I'm allergic to. The whole house smells like the dog. The dog is smelly. The dog is not trained and the dog will not leave me alone. So those are all the dog reasons. And then it's like, it's the, I just prefer the theater in terms of the lighting and that like it's dark. And so I can see the picture very clearly. The sound is amazing. I don't have to watch with subtitles where like my whole family watches everything with subtitles and I can't stand it. Like I do not like, because I feel like when the subtitles are on, I read the subtitles the whole time and I don't see what's going on. And as a movie buff, I need to see what's going on. Like cinematography is important to me. I really like to study like the blocking of how actors enter and exit scenes and like that kind of stuff is really interesting to me and I just I miss it when the subtitles are on so I'm just like if I go to the theater it's going to be dark there won't be subtitles the sound will be amazing and also I can explain the movie to you after because if I watch it in your basement you're going to pause the movie every 10 minutes to ask me questions and have me explain things and it's going to destroy the experience for me like I say all of this and she just doesn't listen and she's like let's just watch it here in the basement (laughs) And even my sister tries to help and she's like, she doesn't want to watch it in the basement. She wants to watch it in the theater. And this is just a thing that my mom does all the time where if she wants something, she just repeats it until you agree. So I finally like got sick of her not listening to me. And I was like, whatever, fine. We'll watch it in the basement. So we watched it in the basement with the dog barking outside the door, her pausing the movie every 10 minutes. And I am frustrated and I hate the experience and I'm mad and I'm irritated and she doesn't care because I feel like it was never important to her that I be happy. It's important to her that she gets what she wants the way that she wants it. But so the whole reason I even bring up this movie is that in the movie, 
the mother says to her daughter three times in the course of the movie, you're so fat. And it is never discussed or addressed between them how that's not okay. It's portrayed as like the mom is out of touch and just doesn't know that you should not say this to your daughter. But it's not something that's like explicitly discussed. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there like my mother has already watched this movie three times. So she knows that this line is in this movie three times. And she knows that she and I have this huge issue when it comes to weight. (laughs) Like that is not a movie that she and I should have watched together because every time the mom said it in the movie, I was feeling her say it to me. And that made me even more uncomfortable when I'm already uncomfortable because I want to be in the theater and you're forcing me to sit in the basement and eat your popcorn that doesn't taste like movie theater popcorn and your dog is barking and you're pausing the movie and the subtitles are on and I'm just like mad about all of it. After like there was the whole weight issue, then there was like a whole blood pressure issue. So I got diagnosed with high blood pressure a few years ago and (laughs) my parents made this an absolute nightmare experience for me where like my dad has high blood pressure. The the majority of my dad's side of the family has high blood pressure. And when I got diagnosed with it, like for some reason, my mom just starts freaking out and my parents went into overdrive and it was like, we all had the same primary care doctor at the time. And I ended up getting a new doctor because I felt like my mom would use her appointments to try to talk to the doctor about me. And so then I had to get a brand new doctor and make sure that my parents were like not on an approved list of people that can know anything about my medical history because my mom was just so like every time that the doctor would refer me to a specialist because she thought that I had some rare disease that was causing the high blood pressure, even though 90% of people with high blood pressure do not have a cause. It's just something that people get and they cannot find what caused it and you just treat it with medication, but whatever my doctor and my mom and everyone else was convinced that I had some rare disease. So she kept referring me to all these specialists. And then my mom has a bunch of friends that are doctors. So then she'd be talking to all her friends about it. And then I had to go see all of these different doctors. And I'd have to like talk to my mom's friends that were doctors on the phone. These weren't even like real appointments. And just the whole thing made me so uncomfortable and so anxious And I honestly think like my blood pressure was like dangerously high every time they checked it. It was like go to the hospital high. And I think that it was so high because her anxiety was giving me anxiety. And it was just constant, like constant. Did you check it? Did you check it today? Are you okay? Are you like, and it was just like, leave me alone. A year and a half and like $6,000 later, All the tests show that I just have high blood pressure and need to take medicine for it every day as millions of people do because high blood pressure is hereditary and it's a thing that people just get. (laughs) Okay. But so the other thing is that my parents were very like, you know, you need to take this more seriously because blood pressure, high blood pressure doesn't have symptoms. And so if you don't take care of yourself, right, like just any day, you can just get a stroke and die immediately. And I'm just like, okay, well, I do take care of myself. I exercise and I take my blood pressure medicine every single day. So chill out. So more recently, like literally the last time that I was at my parents' house, 
I had mentioned to my mom that I was having headaches lately and my blood pressure had been a little high. Um, and she of course starts freaking out and is like, you need to call your doctor. Like you, you probably need to get back on your second medication. Cause there was a time that I was on two medicines. They've tried all these different regimens of medicines that don't work. And I was just like, I'm an adult and I know how to contact my doctor. If I have a question for them, I am not alarmed. Like I literally was mentioning this to you just to like make small talk. I'm not asking you to solve a problem, not asking you to do anything. And she goes and she gets the blood pressure cuff and she brings it to me and she's like, can I check your blood pressure? And I'm like, no, I'd rather you not. And she's like, can I check your blood pressure? And I'm like, I'd really rather you not. And she's like, please just do this for me. Like I just, it's going to give me peace of mind. Just let me check your blood pressure. And so I'm sitting there having flashbacks to when she brought me the scale. And the difference this time is that she's not yelling at me. She's not being aggressive, but she is still repeating the same question over and over and over again, not listening to me, not caring about what I want, disrespecting my boundaries and just saying, I'm going to get what I want at any cost. And I am sitting there seething. And there are so many times that stuff like this has happened and I have said like this bothers me or I've gotten upset and I've started yelling at her and it never goes anywhere because she doesn't listen and she can't understand. So I'm just like, fine, whatever, because usually it's easier to just give her what she wants and then get out of there. So I sit there and I let her take my blood pressure. And of course it's high because while she's taking my blood pressure, my blood is boiling because I'm sitting here thinking about the time that she's brought me the scale and all of the times that she's told me that I'm fat and all of the times that she's told me that I'm not smart enough to take care of my own health and implied that I'm stupid and that I need her and I'm going to die if she doesn't dictate all of my doctors and my health and tell me what to eat and how to work out and how much water to drink and all this stuff. Like this is what's going on in my head. And I'm using every muscle in my body not to run out of there and not to punch her in the face because I honestly want to just punch her in the face in this moment. And so I'm sitting there and she takes my blood pressure. And then of course she's worried because it's high. And I am just telling myself in my head, I'm like, just get out as quick as you can. Just get out, just get out, just get out. And as soon as she was done, I was like, okay, gotta go. And I ran to my car And I floored it speeding on the way home. And I was like, I will not step foot back in my parents' house for at least two months from this day. Like, I'm just not going to do it because like it's all. And and she does not understand like how traumatic that is for me because it's just all rushing back. And I have to relive all of those terrible moments every single time because she just never listens to me say no. And it's one of those things where I think that when it's a parent, it's really, really hard because for 18 years of your life, you have to do whatever they say. And you have to answer their questions when they ask and they are in charge of your care and they do get to decide where you go and when you go and how you do things. So I I imagine for a parent, like for that to be your relationship for 18 years, it's got to be really, really difficult to adjust to these are adults now. They make their own decisions like I need to step back and like let them do this. I don't know what's best. 
because as a as a parent you're still always going to have that feeling of well even though they're an adult they're a new adult i've been an adult longer and i really know what's best and maybe you do but at the end of the day like people have to learn and people have to grow and i think the biggest thing that i have learned in therapy is that it is my choice whether or not i want to just let her check my blood pressure so that I can get away from her sooner with, or, or whether I want to make it a bigger fight and stand up and yell no so that she hears it and tell her how awful she makes me feel and let it be a fight. And it's like, either way I go home feeling terrible. So I just kind of usually pick the lesser of two evils, but then it's my choice to not see her for a significant amount of time after because I have to protect my peace. And I think that that's a really important thing that I learned in therapy. That's just like your parents are not entitled to information just because they're your parents. And like I saw a TikTok last week that I thought was really interesting where this woman was saying that she finds it really interesting that anytime an adult child starts talking about a problem with a parent to the point where they're saying like, I stopped speaking to said parent or I no longer have a relationship with said parent. The reaction is almost always, but that's your mom or that's your dad. Like, how dare you stop speaking to them? You know, it's like, that's the people that love you more than anything and anyone in the world. And she said, isn't it crazy? That the responsibility for the relationship is put on the child. It's not put on the parent. Nobody is ever asking the parent, what could you have possibly done to make your child not want you in their life? That's alarming. But also in this age, like millennials and Gen Z, we're the therapy generations. Our parents didn't go to therapy. Our parents have this idea of, I'm set in my ways. I am who I am. I'm not going to change. I can't change. I won't change. No amount of prayer or therapy or anything. I, I, I'm 60 something. Like, this is who I am. You know? And it's like, it starts with that belief. Like, you have to believe that you can change before you can actually do it. And what sucks is that I feel like the responsibility for the relationship in most cases should be on the parent. But I feel like in my case, the responsibility is on me because I'm the one that goes to therapy and I'm the one that's doing the work to try to understand how my dad communicates and what he's really trying to say to me so that I can translate it into my own language instead of just getting mad at him for annoying me with a message. And I'm going to therapy so that I can try to understand why my mom is so anxious and why she doesn't trust me and why if she loves me and thinks that I'm smart, she acts like I'm dumb and don't know how to do things. Like I'm trying to figure out like what is it within her own life and her own brain that makes her act this way. 
so that I can better tailor my responses. But at the same time, that's a lot of energy for me to have to carry. Because at the end of the day, it would be helpful if my dad would learn how I communicate and he could tailor his communications with me to the way that I best receive them, the same way that I tailor my communications to him. And it would be great if my mom would think about what I want and what I like outside of what she wants and what she thinks is right, if she could consider that what I want is still okay and right too. So since they both refuse to go to therapy and like won't learn these things, I feel like I have to sit here and constantly consider to what degree do I have to teach them and to what degree do I just have to accept that they are the way they are and they're not changing. And then I have to decide, okay, well, because of that, do I continue as things are being in pain and being subject to certain abuses or do I completely just walk in the opposite direction and just not have relationships? And I feel like it's not fair that I have to make that decision. But what's nice is going to therapy, like I have a place to process this stuff and to try to understand this stuff. And overall, I have healthier relationships because the majority of my friends are in therapy, my sisters are in therapy. And even if like you're not a person that like is ongoing going to therapy for years and years, like some people go for a season, it's still like talking to people that have really done the work is honestly just so refreshing and on a completely, the conversations that you have are just going to be on a completely different level to be able to process like, what exactly am I feeling? Let's name that. And then what's the source of it? And then if I like the feeling, how do I get that feeling again in a healthy way? And if I don't like the feeling, how do I sit with it until it's gone? And then how do I keep it gone for as long as possible. And I should also mention that like it can be very difficult to find the right therapist. So I feel like if you are leaving therapy every time you go just feeling like super happy and like, oh, what a good conversation. And you're never like sitting in your discomfort. You probably are seeing the wrong therapist. But if you're feeling like berated and like bad about yourself, you're probably seeing the wrong therapist. And if you are being told what to do, you're definitely seeing the wrong therapist. And for a lot of people, like it takes a long time for you to see like if you gel with someone because your personalities have to click, you have to like their style. So also like just keep in mind, like you're in charge of your healthcare. Like if you don't like a doctor, you can see a different one. If you don't like a therapist, you can see a different one. Like all of that is a thousand percent on you. And I don't want it to sound like it is easy because I can't tell you how many therapists I tried in the course of my life before I found the one that I love so much. And I'm now at the point where I'm like, if she stops practicing, I'm going to quit therapy because I'm not going to start over again with somebody else after my seven or eight years of work that I've been doing. (laughs) Like I just can't handle it. 
honest. Hard conversation of the week. This wasn't this week. This was a few weeks ago now. But anyways, I was referred by a friend to a financial advisor. um, And I met with him a couple times. And just the first meeting was fine. The second meeting just didn't really hit it off. And he kind of bothered me. And I ended up talking to a girl in my e-group about it. And she's like, she's like, oh, well, I work in finance. Like, you can meet with my company. And so I met with them and just was like a completely different experience to where I felt really comfortable and secure and like was liking the advice. I was really vibing with the team and I decided to move forward with them. And so I emailed like the initial guy that I had met with just to say like, hey, I'm working with somebody else, um, but like, thanks for your time. (laughs) And he emailed me back and he said, you're working with someone else. What do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean? What do I mean? I mean what I said. Like, what, sir? And I said, like, I have found a different advisor. (laughs) Does that clear things up for you? So he responded to me again and he sent me like a really long email where he essentially like summarized everything that we had talked about and like what I said my goals are and what his advice was. And he's like, you know, I really thought that we had hit it off really well and had a great working relationship here. Like, can you let me know where things went wrong? Because I'm just always looking for feedback. And so I was like, you know, because you asked, sure, I will give you feedback. I was like, I think you're a nice guy. I enjoyed talking to you. The two areas in which you can improve is the first one being time management because both of our meetings, like you scheduled our first meeting for 30 minutes and took an hour and you scheduled our second meeting for an hour and took two hours and your office is 20 minutes for me. So like I give it 30 minutes because I get everywhere 10 minutes early. So just including the travel time and how long the meetings were, like I missed some stuff at work because I was at your office. And so I just don't feel like that was respectful of my time. And the other thing I told him he can work on is I really didn't like the aggression around the referrals that his company asked for. So the friend that initially referred him to me did say like, you know, you don't pay for the services unless you like give them your money to manage. And then they make, you know, they get a cut of that. But if you're just doing the advising portion, then, you know, the quote unquote payment is giving them referrals. My thing is like, if I like working with someone, I'm going to refer them naturally. As soon as somebody asks, like, please refer me to people. (laughs) Now I don't want to just because you add like, now I'm annoyed, like, let me do it on my own. In our first meeting, he had like asked for some referrals and I told him, I was like, look, I'm not the kind of person that is comfortable with giving you people's contact information. I don't give out people's contact information without their explicit permission. What I will do is I'll reach out to some people that I know and I'll let them know that I met with you and I'll talk to them about how it went. And if they're interested in also meeting with you, then I will ask if they want me to have you reach out to them or if they want me to just give them your info and they can reach out to you if they're interested. And he said, okay, cool. That's fine. I did end up like I found like four people that were interested in meeting with him. And like I sent that I sent him their information and he met with them. And then the second time that I met with him at the end of the meeting, he had this word document where his team had gone through my LinkedIn contacts, my Facebook friends, and they had made this list of like 20 people that I knew and had listed out like their names, where they worked. And then he was asking me like to rank how well I knew them on a scale of one to 10 and um, to give him their numbers so he could reach out. And I was like, so first of all, only two of the people on the list were like actual friends of mine. Everybody else were like, was like random sorority sister from college that I haven't talked to since college or like 
random kid that worked at Disney that I haven't talked to since the Disney program. So I was like, you know, most of these people I don't even know. So I don't have their contact information. And if I did, I wouldn't give it to you. But I'm just very uncomfortable with how you went about compiling this list. And I don't like that at all. And so I put that in the email as a second thing. Like that was really the huge turnoff where I was just like, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not proceeding with this. I wish he would have just ended it there. Because he then responded to me with like a six paragraph email giving a rebuttal for everything where he literally said that he had in the calendar invite an agenda and networking was on the agenda. So I should have been prepared for that. And most people laugh when they see the list and are not bothered by it, which like if someone is telling you that you've done something that made them uncomfortable, the defense should never be. But I do this all the time and people laugh. You know, like how stupid can you be? And and first he tried to call me, but I was in a meeting, so I didn't answer. And that's why he sent this ridiculously long email. And he also said like he let the meetings go twice as long because people after me canceled. And so he had more time. And I will give him, I'll say this to his credit. I did not say I have a hard stop at two. I have to leave because the way that I view me, I feel like the person who schedules the meeting, the owner of the meeting is the person who needs to manage the time. So I felt like it was his responsibility as the owner of the meeting to say to me, hey, my next meeting canceled and I now have an extra hour and I'd like to keep talking with you. Does that work for you? And like, he didn't say that. Like he just kept going on and on and on and on. And I was like, sir, I'm over this. Um, But either way, he got like super defensive and I was very bothered by his response. At one point in the rebuttal email, he even put like, let me be absolutely clear that I do very well for myself and I absolutely do not need you or any of your referrals to like keep my business going. So I don't want you to feel like I'm begging for referrals and I'm like, you are and this is not the way to tell say this to me. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And he's like, I really don't want anything to end on a sour note. So like, please call me back. And so I called him back. He didn't answer. So I left him a message and I just said, hey, I'm calling you because you asked me to, but please don't call me back. (laughs) Like, I think you have sound financial advice. I'm not going to call all my friends that I have referred you to and tell them that I had a bad experience and I don't like you because maybe they're having a great experience and enjoying working with you and they shouldn't stop doing that because of me. Like I had an experience with you that I was uncomfortable with. Your response to me made me even more uncomfortable. I do not like how defensive you're being. Don't ask me for feedback if you're going to get this defensive and angry about my feedback. Like you asked for feedback. I gave you feedback. That should be the end of it. Um, And I know so many people would have like ended the conversation sooner and like not called him back and not responded with the emails, which that's another thing that I need to work on in therapy because I do like I have a very hard time with like. I don't like people to think that I'm rude. So I feel like if somebody is asking me to call them back or they're asking for feedback, then I feel like I should give it because I really do like I want to help and I want to be kind and um, I don't want to want people to make assumptions and I want to be like honest. But at the same time, like (laughs) sometimes you got to just like end the thing because the other person won't let you. I don't have a movie or TV recommendation this week, so I'm going to recommend a book which is A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. Um, I actually hate this book. I'm, I, well, you know what? I, I might love it. I have a love-hate relationship with this whole series 
But I want everyone in the world to read this book so that we can all suffer together. (laughs) It truly, it's like, I don't even know. The best like short description I can give you of this book is it is a dramatic retelling of Beauty and the Beast that takes a hard left turn at a sex ritual. And then there is a witch and some magic and a really dumb girl. (laughs) that can't solve a very simple riddle. Um, but it's like, it's one of those, but I want to say the first probably 60% of it is really, really boring, but when it moves, it moves. And now I'm hooked for life and I am reading all of this author's books. And I've read, I've read this book in particular twice and I've now read the whole series. I'm going to reread the series. I'm definitely hate reading it. I have a love hate relationship with it because it's like, I can't stop reading it and reading reviews of it and reading other books that she's written and just being so engrossed in the whole thing. But I also like hate it at the same time, but you should absolutely read Akatar. <laughs> Please read it and send me like live tweet me your thoughts while you're reading it because nothing is more entertaining than that. Okay. Bye. I'm not here to sugarcoat, I'm sorry about you Too much shelter causes pain, let's just be real honest Things are gonna knock you down, avoidance will not help you out Let's talk it through, you me and you, let's keep it real honest